Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Market Bites. I'm Sam. And I'm Josh. And we're here to break down three of the hottest financial events that happened this week, so you can keep your finger on the pulse, on your way to work, at the gym, wherever and whenever you have time to get updated. Please remember that this podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only. Stay tuned for additional disclosures at the end of today's episode. So, are you ready? Here we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Market Bites. Uh, I am Josh Gilbert, market analyst here, obviously, at eToro, and I am joined by Ben Lader today, our global market strategist. Ben, how are you? Yeah, great. Thanks for having me on. No, pleasure. Always good to have you with us. Um, Today, we're going to go through a couple of topics. Uh, There's plenty going on to start 2024. It never feels... Uh, like it ever gets quieter in markets, which is, of course, a good thing. And whilst you're here, a quick reminder to like, share, subscribe, and remember to give us a rating on your favorite podcast platforms. So our first topic of the day, Ben, is going to be a top of the table clash. And many people here will be very pleased to know that I'm not actually talking about football, uh, but instead the battle of Microsoft and Apple So last week, for some context, Microsoft took the top spot as the world's most valuable public company. And that was for the first time in two years. So, Ben, how has that come about? Can that be sustained for the full year? And do we think Microsoft will reach the three trillion club on which Apple has the bragging rights so far? (laughs) So, right. Microsoft is now a two. 0.8 0.8 trillion with a capital T uh, market cap per company, as you say, a little ahead of Apple. Uh, and those are basically the only two companies in this sort of 2 trillion market cap club. So it's a pretty, um, it's a pretty select group. Um, what got Microsoft there and dethroned Apple? It's all about AI. Uh, Microsoft you know, is not far behind sort of NVIDIA, AMD, looking to sort of capture these first AI adoption benefits. Benefits. It obviously has the big stake in Chat GPT, you know, Pioneer Open AI. It's using its own AI chips. It's got the Copilot AI subscription service. So it's, you know, it's all in on AI. And I guess what we've continued to see this year is AI just can, moving from, you know, that sort of initial hype a year ago, just to dollars and cents, you know, reality. I mean, this year alone, um, we've been talking about the consumer electronics show in Las Vegas, which is absolutely dominated by, you know, AI coming into consumer electronics. Um, We've seen a big $14 billion M&A deal from Hewlett-Packard buying Juniper Networks, which is all about uh, AI. And on the investor side, we had our retail investor survey, where we showed us that a lot of retail investors own AI stocks, which I guess partly explains the rapid we saw last year, but more intriguingly, even more, and even greater proportion are looking to buy them, you know, this year. So I think you sort of put all this together, all the stars are aligning. The AI story, I think, just continues to, um, uh, continues to, you know, gain, gain traction and Microsoft's been the big beneficiary of that. Uh, by contrast, you know, Apple's been a little bit left out in the cold of, you know, all the AI news and it's suffering from these sort of this consumer fatigue or this slowing consumption 
that we've sort of been seeing, you know, globally, and I think, you know, continues as labor markets sort of loosen up a bit, consumers sort of burn through what's left to their pandemic savings. Uh, and I guess most recently, we're seeing a particular slowdown in the Chinese consumer. Um, and, you know, with consumers under pressure, a few less people are going to have an extra thousand dollars to go and buy that iPhone. And, you know, we're seeing luxury stocks globally, of which Apple is one, um, just taking a little bit, little bit of, a, of a back seat. But, you know, let's not feel too sorry for them, right? Still a wildly successful company, hugely profitable. Um, and some sort of changing of the guard is, I guess, just a little bit natural over time. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to be feeling... Sorry for Apple anytime soon after what has been a stellar run. And obviously, as we said, taking out that $3 trillion club for the first uh, time ever uh, in the history of obviously stock markets there. Um, and that will be a battle to keep an eye on for, for the for the year. Obviously, we've got earnings season just around the corner. So there'll be two names to, to sort of keep an eye on. And, and obviously, they'll be jostling uh, for that sort of top spot over the next uh, couple of weeks. Um, elsewhere, Ben, it's been a lively start to the year for commodities. I think the energy sector has been leading performance here on the Australian market so far this year. A lot of good news coming from uh, uranium to start 2024. So we started pretty lively, but the focus today is going to be on oil. We've got a lot of tensions uh, in the Red Sea that are ongoing. Uh, we've also had some really key data this week from China, uh, which we'll get onto a little bit more in a moment, but again, a, a really key market when it comes to oil. So what do you see next for oil and how do you sort, sort of more broadly see the year playing out for the commodity? Yeah, so oil's had, you know, it's up for the year, it's had a decent start um, after a pretty terrible 2023 when commodities was the worst performer of all asset classes. But, you know, Brent is still struggling to break above $80 a barrel. And that's even with this sort of spike in geopolitical tensions in the Red Sea that you mentioned. And I think this struggle speaks to two things. Firstly, that the fundamentals, the sort of supply-demand balance for oil is still pretty weak. You know, GDP growth this year, hence oil demand, will be slower than last year, uh, particularly in the US, uh, but also... China's recovery is still sort of stuttering here and not helping. China is still the biggest buyer uh, of oil in the world. Whilst on the supply side, you know, OPEC has been taking a lot of production out of the market, doing its best to balance the market. But I think there's a real question mark as to how much more supply they can take out of the market. All the most recent supply cuts have been voluntary, meaning that they haven't been able to persuade many other people to, to cut back um, on production. And at the same time, the US, which is not in OPEC and is the world's biggest oil producer, just continues to go from production record to production record. Uh, so those are the fundamentals, and none of them are particularly supportive. And secondly, the geopolitics, which is absolutely supporting prices here, um, but it's absolutely not a repeat of these the huge supply chain snarls we saw in 2021, which contributed to um, you know a big rise in oil prices, a big rise in inflation. This time round, you know it's a lot smaller. It's focused on the Red Sea. It's not global. It's a lot more specific. So far, we're mainly talking about container traffic, not oil tanker traffic. It's more localized. There's absolutely an impact, but it's really on Europe. So let's say a quarter of global GDP 
uh, not on the whole world. And the supply-demand backdrop is completely different. Back in 2021, we had a demand boom as consumers were just, you know, gorging on goods while they sat at home. And we had all these sort of supply chain snarls on the on the supply side. This time around, demand's a lot weaker. Europe's in recession. Producer prices are falling nearly sort of 10% there. And um, supply on the shipping side just continues to build. So the backdrop just completely different. Um, and I think, so for those reasons, both geopolitics and um, the sort of supply-demand fundamentals, I think oil's really struggling to break $80 here. And I think oil probably has a better year than it did last year, but I don't think it's going to be a great year. There'll be a few, I think, oil traders out there that will be thinking, okay, great, we're going to see a, a better year, but also some that, you know, that last little comment there on, it's not going to be that much better at the same time. But again, with those sort of geopolitical tensions that, that we sort of do see, um, you know, it can cause plenty of volatility within these markets. We've seen it over the last sort of couple of years. So I think that just stands to that anything can happen in markets. Uh, ben, we touched on slightly there, China. Um, it's been a market that has really, really struggled over the last couple of years. Uh, but again, it's been another big week in China. Last week, we saw another deflation reading, making it the longest deflationary period for China since 2009. Uh, but surprisingly, we didn't see a rate cut earlier this week on Monday, which was actually against consensus. Most of the market was expecting to see a rate cut there, given um, that continued deflationary period. Um, how are you viewing China right now, Ben? And the question really is now, after a lot of struggle uh, and even a poor start to this year, is it an investable region? I guess that's the multi-trillion dollar question. Um, to your point, uh, it, they're continuing to struggle. It's been the weakest major stock market so far this year, as it was in 2023. And these struggles have continued. We had the GDP inflation report you know, today up a, you know, up a little bit, around 5%. You know, it doesn't look bad. But in China's context, very disappointing. And as you say, against this backdrop of just continued deflation and an only sort of really tepid sort of drip feed policy response so far, which has dis disappointed a lot of people, given the sort of three-headed headwinds that they're facing right now of really a sort of consumer's buyer strike, consumer confidence, you know, very low, they're not spending. Secondly, and partly because of the property sector overhangs that you know are still out there. Property prices being very weak. A lot of consumer wealth in China, uh, as elsewhere, tied up in property. Uh, and thirdly, and more globally, uh, pretty weak global manufacturing demand for you know all the things that, that China produces. Put all that together, that's the macro problem that they have. And I guess the numbers we saw today just really reminded us of that, especially with the December retail sales numbers. You know, reflection of that key consumer all just weakening again and the central bank has just avoided to cut interest rates despite the deflation and despite the fact that they've got some of the highest real rates in the world so despite having the ability to cut rates quite a lot and it's this lack of policy visibility that's been turning off investors they really don't know what's coming and this has made china a real bit of a value trap you know very cheap but without you know catalysts and continuing to disappoint 
even more so as Japan, um, its sort of neighbor, you know, the third biggest equity market economy in the world has just gone from sort of strength to strength. And has been, you know, one of the best performers globally last year and, and so far this year. But I, I wouldn't write China off. You know, it remains absolutely high risk, absolutely very contrarian, you know, but it also remains very cheap. The sheer fact that we're talking about this, you know, sentiment is very low. We all know all the bad things that are going on. Um, I think the economy is sort of tentatively stabilizing and they do have the policy flexibility. So I think it's a question of when rather than if they pull these policy levers um, harder than they have done, you know, right now. And therefore, you know, I don't think it can be ignored, um, especially even if you're just a sort of global onlooker. Uh, it's the biggest buyer of commodities globally. It's a massive market for, uh, you know, everybody from you know, Apple to Tesla to Nike. So fingers crossed. Uh, the new year starts on February the 10th. It's the year of the dragon. Um, historically, that's been a fairly auspicious year in the Chinese calendar. Yeah, well, I think uh, Tim Cook and uh, Elon Musk will ho- be hoping the the same. Ben, after you know what has been a, a terrible couple of years uh, in China, and, and I'm sure anybody invested in the region will be thinking the same thing. Uh, a quick look to the rest of the week. Uh, we've got retail sales out of the US uh, on Thursday, retail sales out of the UK on Friday, and of course we are into earnings season as well. We've just sort of finished up with the banks. Um, not the best start to earnings season, but next week is when it really does kick up a gear. We go into Netflix, we go into Microsoft, some huge names next week that we will be covering for you all. Um, that's it. Thanks everyone for listening as usual. Ben, thank you for your insights and for joining. Yeah, thanks everyone. You have been listening to Digest and Invest by eToro. For more information, use eToro.com. This podcast is for information and education purposes only and should not be taken as investment advice, a personal recommendation or an offer of or solicitation to buy or sell any financial instruments. This material has been prepared without taking into account any particular recipient's investment objectives or financial situation and has not been prepared in accordance with the legal and regulatory requirements to promote independent research. Past performance is not an indication of future results.